0: It is Monday, January 8th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Matthew Moore. Today, Arkansas has opted into a new federal program to fight
1: food
2: insecurity for kids. I've been involved with the Hunger Relief Alliance for over a decade, and it's one of the biggest things I've ever been involved in. Plus, considering the benefits of a dry January.
3: Moderate alcohol use is, uh, would be considered to be okay, but even moderate alcohol use can cause a slight uptick in blood pressure.
1: And as we begin a new election
4: year, Arkansas Connected runs for the White House recalled. You know, I wasn't sure that I would ever be able to love a state as much as I love my home state of Arkansas. But tonight, I love Iowa a whole lot. But before that, this hour's news from NPR.
1: This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, January 8th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. In our second half hour today, my co-host Kyle Kellams spends time with Randy Dixon from the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History to discuss presidential candidates from Arkansas. We'll hear that in about 20 minutes today. First, though... Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced that Arkansas would be opting into a new program that aims to fight food insecurity for children. The program is called the Summer Electronic Benefit Transfer, which will provide assistance to buy food during the summer months for eligible children in Arkansas. I spoke to Kathy Webb, the CEO of Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance, last week over Zoom. I asked her how big of a deal this was for Arkansas.
2: It's huge. I've been involved with the Hunger Relief Alliance for over a decade, about 15 years as a board member and then as CEO, and it's one of the biggest things I've ever been involved in. It's wonderful for Arkansas children and families.
1: Can you talk more about kind of what the program looks like and, and how it will impact students in Arkansas?
2: Yes, and can I can I give you a little bit of context would that be okay? Yes, please. One of the main components of the Arkansas No Kid Hungry campaign which is part of the, uh, the alliance is the lead partner in Arkansas is to try to expand access to meals where kids live, learn and play. And so one of our big areas of focus over the years has been expanding school meals which we had huge success in 2023 with the bill that eliminated the copay for reduced price kids. That meant that 49,000 more children were eligible for no cost breakfast and lunch every day. Massive, huge win. And for about the same number of years, we've worked with Senator Bozeman and other elected officials to try to make summer meals more accessible for kids. Because when you think about it, all of these kids who rely on school meals, especially if you rely on breakfast and lunch, in the summer, kids are hungry and it's a huge strain on family budgets. And it is a lot of increased traffic uh, for the charitable food network uh, that we're not always able to meet. So for all of those reasons, expanding access in the summer is really important. And we've done a variety of things over the years. But during the pandemic, one of the programs that they tried, and it was called a waiver was to allow those families who qualified for school meals to add money to a card that looks like a, a snap card and EBT card. Because not every county, especially in rural counties, has a location where kids can go to get a meal, or they don't have transportation for kids to get there. So Senator Bozeman got this in uh, law in December, that this was gonna be possible, but states had to opt in. So by opting in, not only does it mean a huge benefit for folks who are working, but not always able to make ends meet, it's a huge uh, benefit to the community because these are dollars that will be spent immediately at the local level. So it can benefit the grocery stores. It will benefit Arkansas farmers, Arkansas producers. And it means that people will take those EBT cards and use them at the local level. And one of the things we saw during the pandemic was that having this benefit also improved the diets of families and so you know it, it's a huge win for arkansas kids and families uh it's a win for the state it's very exciting
1: as you said that the states have to opt into this program and folks may have seen in the news that two states nebraska and iowa both rejected offers to be a part of this program, and and I saw online that some Arkansans were concerned that their state would be another name on that list. Was that ever a worry that you had?
2: Texas opted out or did not opt in Florida. The reality is I've met with the governor a lot over the course of the last two and a half years. We always meet with candidates when they're running for office. And one of the areas that she's always expressed a lot of interest in is feeding kids. Um, you know, she's got, she's got kids and feeding kids has been something that, that she really has been interested in. She was helpful with the bill that was passed in the legislature. We had a good conversation about this program and I was always hopeful that, that she would opt in.
1: Perhaps the the additional advantage of having Senator John Bozeman be a part of this process too played a big role in that too. And you know, he thanked your organization specifically in the press release about this program. And so, I imagine that probably helped with the process too, right?
2: I, I don't think we can underestimate how important uh, Senator Bozeman's influence is on hunger issues in general. He has been a good friend and a good supporter. Over the years, and one of the things I like about Senator Bozeman is when he sees something that doesn't work, he's tried something else. And I think this is something that's really going to make a difference for Arkansas kids in the summer. You know, I've been involved in the political arena besides the nonprofit arena, but I gotta, I gotta give it to Senator Bozeman and Senator and uh, and Governor Sanders on this. It's huge.
1: So maybe walk us through a little bit of the logistics of what does it look like for a student who qualifies for this program you know do we know at this point what it will look like for a student come the summer
2: months to take advantage of
1: this program
2: well and that's one of the things that we're going to be working on very quickly yesterday i was able to communicate with the department of human services And it will be the Department of Human Services and the Department of Ed uh, jointly working on this. Uh, DHS primarily because they, you know, oversee the federal SNAP program, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And Secretary Putnam indicated that we would be having a meeting soon uh, because the alliance has offered its assistance. Sign up will be through the school districts but we want to make sure that everybody who's eligible signs up, and we have some experience in assisting school districts in that regard. Uh, We've done it the last last two years. Coming out of the pandemic, families had to sign up again for school meals that they didn't have to during the pandemic, so we had a lot of success in assisting the Department of Ed, and we look forward to working with the Department of Ed and DHS, and providing assistance, incentives, whatever they need, if we can help sign people up, uh, because it'll be critical to get as many folks signed up as possible.
1: Arkansas is the most food insecure state in America, according to data from the USDA. How do you see a program like this affecting that statistic for Arkansas?
2: I think it can have a big impact, just like the bill that was passed in the legislature this this last session, uh, that obviously passed after the, uh, the survey was done with those terrible numbers for Arkansas. Senator Bozeman got another federal program passed for summer for non-congregate areas that we saw huge successes across rural areas in Arkansas this summer. And so I think as we continue to see a variety of programs that maybe have been around, but that are now tweaked and are more going to be more accessible to rural Arkansans. I think we can see those numbers changing over the course of the next couple of years. And and then the other reality is that Arkansas has always been a state that has a, a fair amount of poverty. So we can do all the things that we can do And I think the governor is showing that, Senator Bozeman's showing that through these anti-hunger programs. But then on the other side, we've got to continue to raise wages and and do things like that that are a little bit out of our, our wheelhouse. I wonder if
1: there is, you were talking about making it more accessible for people. I'm someone, I did not grow up in Arkansas, but I grew up in a very rural part of southeastern Illinois where I lived 30 miles from the closest grocery store. And, you know, I never had any issues getting to a grocery store, but I knew people who did. And I think there's also an element, too, of, you know, we've had in the past summer programs where, churches or community centers or places will have food programs. Do you imagine that having this implemented as essentially a debit card that people can use at the grocery store when they go to pick up their groceries, how does that make that easier or more accessible than, say, alternatives that we've done before?
2: Well, I think it's not either or. I think it's both. Mm. And the other program that started last summer, like you mentioned, living 30 miles from or or being in a rural area. So this past summer, um, instead of a kid going to a community center or a school and eating one meal and then having to go back the next day, figuring out how to get there. Or is there a school or a community center in my town that's going to have one? Families were able to go to a central location and pick up ten meals for the week like in Russellville they did that this summer and on Sunday afternoon they thought that would be a time when people would be more people would be off work and for example on the Sunday before the 4th of July between 2 and 4 they served 900 kids who went there and got 10 meals for the week. That's 9,000 meals in two hours. And so that was also thanks to Senator Bozeman. So between alternatives like that and now the summer EBT program, both of those are game changers for Arkansas. And we visited a lot of places last summer in rural Arkansas, that implemented that non-congregate meal program and saw number of meals increase by 60% and more.
1: It's fascinating because, uh, you know, I think a lot of people think that, well, this doesn't work as well as we want it to. So we're going to try this instead. But what you are saying is, no, 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 do this in addition to. So it's it's really not just deciding which one works the best. It's deciding how do we do something else that maybe if you're looking at a Venn diagram, you're not seeing a ton of, you know, overlap in the circles. You're, ex- you're essentially like making the circles bigger, right?
2: Yeah. And, and I think, I mean... If when you look at the non-congregate rural meals that started this summer, you add to that summer EBT, I mean, huge impact, for Arkansas kids and families, huge.
1: You recently announced that you're stepping down as CEO of Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance at the end of this month. You were the first openly gay person to serve in the Arkansas General Assembly. You've served on the Little Rock City Board. You were named an Arkansas Top Influencer by Talk Business and Politics. You have a pretty incredible legacy for the work you've done in the state of Arkansas. What do you hope people most remember from the work that you've done?
2: I'll tell you, yesterday is one of the best days of my life. Uh, When this announcement was made, I hope it was... Just never give up. Never give up. Because everybody can make a difference. And just keep our our motto last year was to be bold. And that's what we did. And I think it's really paying off for Arkansas kids and families.
1: Kathy Webb is the CEO of Arkansas Hunger Relief Alliance. We spoke last week over Zoom. Later this hour, how observing a dry January can tap into a healthy
3: concept. Everything in moderation. I don't know if that's the internist in me or if it's the Methodist uh, coming out, but uh, (laughs) certainly uh, everything in moderation is reasonable. That's ahead on today's Ozarks at Large.
1: A volunteer fair tomorrow night in Rogers will offer a chance for people to become more familiar with about a dozen nonprofits. Ozark Beer Company will host the fair. Gabrielle Ibarra, events manager at Ozark Beer, says she wants the spirit of New Year's resolutions to inspire people's volunteerism. Things that they want to do to be a better person or just volunteer, do new hobbies, all that kind of stuff. So we thought that doing it at the start of the year would be kind of a good segue with that. Participating nonprofit groups include NWA Humane Society and Beaver Watershed Alliance. Ibarra says the volunteer fair is open to anybody and is designed as a low-key way to learn more about the different organizations. People can grab a drink and then head up the stairs, and then it'll kind of encompass the whole room. So you can walk around from table to table, you chat with a representative or
2: someone who is affiliated with the nonprofit or organization.
1: Marty Shutter is Ozark Beer's marketing director. He says getting people in one place can also lead to collaborations between the participating groups.
0: Our existing customers will be exposed to something new, but then there's always really cool overlap in the nonprofit world where um almost always somebody comes away from something like this, like, oh, I'm going to work with them on that thing now. Or, oh, I didn't know that this was so easy to
3: do.
1: The Ozark Beer Volunteer Fair is tomorrow from 4 until 8 p.m. at the Brewers' downtown Rogers location at North Arkansas Street. No pre-registration is required. Gas prices in Arkansas are lowering. The website GasBuddy reports the average gallon of gas in Arkansas is about 3 cents cheaper than this time last week and 11 cents cheaper than this time in December. Arkansans are paying $2.60 a
4: gallon on average, 43
1: cents cheaper than the national average.
4: You know, I wasn't sure that I would ever be able to love a state as much as I love my home state of Arkansas, but tonight... I love Iowa a whole lot. It's time for a brand new visit
0: into the Prior Center archives. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Randy Dixon. Who would we just hear?
5: Well, we heard Mike Huckabee, and uh, that was his acceptance speech. Uh, in 2008, he won the Iowa caucus when he was running for president. And we're going to talk about Arkansans or people with Arkansas connections who've run for president. And there have been quite a few. One quick thing about the Mike Huckabee deal, if you watch it, you know, he's up on a stage. Everybody's crowded behind him. And the person you see right over his shoulder, not Janet, his wife, but none other than Chuck Norris. But we've had a a bunch more that you may not – have heard about or were that well known. So uh, let's start with a list of some of the earliest ones that I really don't have in the archives. I'm predate television. Well, KATV Channel Seven wasn't around, right? Uh, for this first one, especially George Edwin Taylor, and I didn't know that name. I don't know it now. But in 1904. He lost the nomination to Teddy Roosevelt. The GOP nomination. Yes. Okay. Now, you've heard of Joe T. Robinson. Yeah. Senator from Arkansas. And in 1924, he did run. He lost uh, to John Davis, which is another, I would think, unknown. Now, William Cohen Harvey.
0: Montaday, Arkansas
5: founder. Yes. Uh, 1932, uh, he lost to FDR. And then in 1944 and 1948, Gerald L.K. Smith— Christ of the Ozarks. And the Passion Play, um, he ran um, as a libertarian, mm-hmm. and he lost in 44 and 48, first to FDR and then to Harry Truman. I didn't realize that Orville Faubus was actually— considered at least at the convention right because i
0: actually have a pin um for a while i would collect political pins that i found Uh and i have somewhere an orville faubus for president pin but that doesn't mean
5: anything because a lot of people would print pins before they actually launched or whatever but faubus of course lost to jfk Mm -hmm. and then uh in 1948 68 I'm sorry, sixty eight, we had two, Eldridge Cleaver, who's from Arkansas, and then Winthrop Rockefeller. And they were both on the Republican ticket. And again, this is at the
0: convention.
5: Yeah. Because I mean, it was different then primary. Yeah, that was before you would have to file and I mean if your name came up at the convention, you were considered right. uh as a person who was Running yeah, or, so it's
0: not the modern era where you would go to New Hampshire and Iowa. Exactly. You kind of show up and maybe
5: lightning would strike. Exactly. Yeah. One, here we have, let's, let's get to the uh, audio mm-hmm. clips that we have in the KATV archives, but uh, we'll go into the early 70s. Specifically, 1972, Congressman Wilbur Mills from the 2nd District. Chair of the Ways and Means Committee one of the most powerful men in Washington, uh, was a serious enough contender. I mean, he was courted by the Democratic Party. He had a campaign film that, um, well, it it was narrated, as you'll hear, by you got to be of a certain age to remember this actor, but Burgess Meredith. I remember him from The Twilight Zone. He was Rocky Balboa's manager. That's right. He sure was. Yeah. Um, But here's here's a clip from a campaign film for Wilbur Mills. Wilbur Mills, a man who for years has been one of the foremost leaders of our government. Presidents and his Arkansas constituents alike have sought his counsel and assistance. And in like manner, he has given it to them. One of the secrets of this man's success is that he is the same with everyone. Whether
0: you're a Republican. And if you recall in Rocky, Rocky doesn't win the title and Wilbur Mills didn't win the nomination. He didn't.
5: No. But um it's not necessarily true that he wanted to. Mm. And I talked to my boss, John Davis, who not only is the executive director of the prior center, but he's also uh he has a PhD in political science and is a political science professor here. At the university, I I guess I ought to start calling him Dr. Yeah, there you go, Dr. Uh, But I asked him about Wilbur Mills as a politician and then also as a presidential candidate.
6: At his zenith of power in Congress, he was arguably the second, maybe the third most powerful person in the U.S. government, only maybe second to the president, perhaps. And at this time, uh, in the early 70s, he's being courted. Uh, I think the official line was that he was being uh, recruited or drafted to run for the president. I think Mills was probably very interested in running as well. And at that time, it was thought that he was so powerful in Congress, and it was joked about by a friend of his, a colleague in Congress out of Florida, that by running and perhaps winning the office of the presidency, he would be giving up power. And at this time, you know, we tell students today that Congress is the purse of the U.S. government, and this time, Mills was largely in
5: control of that purse. An incredible amount of power. And, of course, and of course you, he had the fall from grace. And we've
0: talked about that, so if you yes. go to the Prior Center archives, you can find our conversation
5: about right. Oliver Mills. Yeah. Right. All right, next up. Uh, Senator Dale Bumpers.
3: Who flirted. S- sort of.
5: Yeah. Yeah, he flirted several times, but... Specifically in 1984, he started to test the waters, and uh, KATV knew he was going to go out to the California Democratic Convention in Sacramento. So Steve Barnes and I went out Hmm. and filed reports from Sacramento, and uh, here's, here's part of one of Steve's reports. It was Bumper's first official presidential foray, although he called himself only a possible prospective candidate his audience, 1,400 delegates to the California Democratic Convention, plus another thousand activists and reporters. The senator hoped his speech could set him apart from the six others who appeared today, and he had saved his most stinging criticism yet of Ronald Reagan.
7: Since January 1981, virtually every function of government in this country has been calculated to benefit the many at the expense of the few. In two short years of this administration, we have seen an outright betrayal. Of everything we value, not by an administration that's simply indifferent or uncaring, not by an administration that's just obsessed with an arms race, but by an administration whose value system apparently extends only to the wealthiest
0: 20% of our people. He was really, for some, a darling. I mean, I remember Rolling Stone magazine really... in not officially endorsing bumpers, but but they had this big article on right. him that, like, this is the guy.
5: Well, and out in California, I remember at one of the news conferences, he was asked about the vice presidency. And he said he had no mm. interest in, in that position. And I think that's maybe why in 1984, he made the decision not to. And Hear Steve Barnes again. The room was filled with 13 years of accumulated allies and advisors. His voice was filled with emotion. The audience knew the decision he would announce and buried its disappointment in applause.
7: It's all the more difficult because every fiber of my body, every emotion I've had says to do it. But I'm old enough and I've been in public life long enough to be very realistic. So now I will return to the Senate with a little better understanding of the american people a deeper faith in their willingness to do whatever is necessary to preserve a safe sane and healthy future for ourselves and our children though i know i can never merit the support that this state has given me i will redouble my efforts thank you very much
5: so bumpers actually considered running in seventy six right 84 and then again in 88 and there was talk of both he and bill clinton running that year in 88 but um, later uh, bumpers had mentioned in a speech to the senate that you know by the time he felt like he was qualified to be president um he decided it demanded a price that he wasn't willing to pay Mm -hmm. meaning the amounts of money the negative impact on, you know, the race on his family, and the scrutiny, and he just wasn't willing to do that. Yeah. Understandably. Yeah. But speaking of Bill Clinton, he (laughs) chose not to run in 88 also, made an announcement then. So then let's go up to the one everyone knows. This was at the old state house in Little Rock, and here he goes.
4: And that is our generation's responsibility to form a new covenant, more opportunity for everyone, more responsibility from everyone, and a greater sense of common purpose. I believe with all my heart that together we can rekindle that American dream. We can usher in a new era of progress, prosperity, and renewal, an era of opportunity greater than anything any generation of Americans has ever known. This is not just a campaign for the presidency. It is a campaign for the future, for the forgotten, hard-working people of America, for their children, for all of those who deserve a government that's on their side, fighting for a better tomorrow. It's a campaign to make us strong at home and abroad.
5: And then some people may have forgotten that in 2004, uh, decorated soldier and general Wesley Clark from Little Rock High School, uh, Hall High School, um, you know, who had come off of – he had just retired from the military, and he had previously uh, been the supreme allied commander in Europe. And a
0: constant presence on CNN.
5: Absolutely. They often asked him for Right. They had him on retainer. Yeah. And he was one of their regular talking heads. But he oversaw the air war, the NATO air war in Kosovo. So here's his announcement when he ran in 2004.
2: This 21st century is going to be our American century, just like the 20th century was. And together, we're going to march forward, forward with a new vision, forward to bring our children and grandchildren into a future brightened by hope, courage, and our determination that we can do better, we will do better, and we will do it together.
0: He's one of these candidates in the last 20, 30, 40 years that doesn't get in early, and you see this groundswell. Fred Thompson, remember Mm -hmm. the senator from Tennessee was
5: one of these? He was on law and order. (laughs) Right.
0: Yeah. And these candidates who, oh, well, once this candidate gets in, it's all over, but then that's not necessarily the case because money. If you don't get in early,
5: you don't have that money. That's right. That's right. So, you know, he ended up uh, dropping out because of – now, he did win... Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that's right. The Oklahoma right. But Democratic every, primary. Every, all the other primaries, he did not too well. well he didn't have the money that right. others did. Right. So now let's go to 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, there were two Arkansans right. running for president. I was news director at the time, and it was like, wow, uh, we better start pulling our resources. Because there was
0: a time... Some weeks when, oh, they may both win the
5: nomination. Exactly. They both had some momentum going. Oh, yeah. So you have Mike Huckabee, mm-hmm. GOP. Winning and, Iowa. And Hillary Clinton. Right. Who was the odds-on favorite, if you right. remember. Right. And then, of course. This young guy from Illinois.
0: Yep. Yeah.
5: So uh, so let's, let's talk about Hillary Clinton first. okay You know, she was former Arkansas First Lady, but had been senator from New York, from New York. Uh, so she made her announcement online on a website, right. That's and it right. was all just very straightforward. So here's an edited version of her announcement.
2: I announced today that I'm forming a presidential exploratory committee. I'm not just starting a campaign, though. I'm beginning a conversation with you, with America, because we all need to be part of the discussion if we're all going to be part of the solution. And all of us have to be part of the solution. So let's talk. Let's chat. Let's start a dialogue about your ideas and mine.
5: Mike Huckabee was quite different. It was kind of strange. And he loves a crowd. He didn't have one this time. Oh. See, I had a tough time finding his 2008 announcement. I, I was going through all of our archives, and I thought, I can't find this. Well, it turns out he didn't really make an announcement. What happened was the Associated Press on a Saturday
2: Mm -hmm.
5: ran a story that everybody picked up nationally that he was going to file on Monday the paperwork for an exploratory committee to run for president. Well, that broke. So he winds up on NBC's Meet the Press. Wow. The next morning, a Sunday morning. Right with little, I'd say no, fanfare. Listen to the way this plays off on the air.
3: The 2008 race for the White House has begun. 16 candidates have already formed presidential committees. And this morning, it's decision time for our guest, the former Republican governor of Arkansas,
4: Mike Huckabee. Governor, welcome. Thank you very much, Tim. Are you running for president of the United States? Tim, tomorrow I'll be filing uh, papers to uh, launch an exploratory committee. And yes, uh, I'll be out
5: there. Huckabee did go on, as you mentioned, to win the Iowa caucus, but, you know, didn't fare well in the following primaries. So he withdrew in March of 08. And then, you know, Clinton lost the nomination to Obama. Mm -hmm. Well, they both ran again in 16, and this is what you're thinking of. Uh, But Clinton's announcement ran again online, but it was— highly produced, with music, Mm -hmm. and it opened up with average people saying what they want to do. Well, this is what I want to do. Right. This is what I want to do. And it was almost a minute and a half into this commercial before you even see or hear Hillary Clinton.
2: I'm running for president. Americans have fought their way back from tough economic times but the deck is still stacked in favor of those at the top. Everyday Americans need a champion, and I want to be that champion. So you can do more than just get by. You can get ahead and stay ahead, because when families are strong, America is strong.
5: But now, could be. I watched this. This is where you're remembering. Because um, Tony
0: Orlando,
5: Tony Orlando was part of this. Really? Yes. Okay, I didn't realize that.
0: <laughs> yeah, he came out, he started it, because it's at the at the high school, right?
5: Yes. Yeah. So Big to- production, right. big uh, star screens behind right. him. Um,
0: so Tony Orlando, who I think at that time was performing in Branson regularly, yes. came down and I think he sang the national
5: Probably anthem. without or- Dawn. Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: <laughs>
0: and, uh, and, and I can't remember if he sang God Bless America, the national anthem, but he came out and started the, uh-huh.
5: the event. Because I was watching the speech, and I didn't recognize the voice introducing him. So that was Tony Orlando. Well, I don't know if Tony Orlando actually introduced
0: him. Well, he may I, have. I just remember that I was watching the online feed, and all of a sudden they said, Ladies
5: and gentlemen, Tony Orlando. I thought, huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so he has this big crowd— And here he goes.
4: And it was here that I became the first male in my entire family lineage to graduate from high school at the very same campus that stands today right down on Main Street. And it was from here that I went on to college at Washita Baptist University. And it was also here that I first ran for elected office when I ran for student council at Hope Junior High School. So it seems perfectly fitting that it would be here that I announce that I am a candidate for president of the United States of America.
0: Yeah, so Iowa wasn't as friendly this time
5: around. No. And ironically, you know, that speech you heard at the beginning where he loves Iowa, Mm -hmm. that was in 08. Mm -hmm. Well, in 16, uh, he's actually pulling out of the race. And here that is.
4: As we come here tonight, it's time to officially suspend the campaign, but not because of the votes. It's because of illness. Obviously, the voters are sick of me, and I need to acknowledge that. (laughs) Look, I'd rather win than lose. But I'm telling you, I had rather lose an election with the kind of wonderful people that have stood with us through this whole process than to win and not have the kind of prayerful, loving, and gracious support that we have enjoyed through this process.
5: He's out. So now we wait until... Last year. Yeah, just last April, as a matter of fact, when Asa Hutchinson announced uh, on the Bentonville Square... I continued to fight the establishment. And over time, guess what? We won. (laughs) That was the beginning. And since then, I've been a consistent conservative through my time as leader of the party in the United States Congress and as governor. And now I bring that same vigor to
4: a fight in another battle And that battle is for the future of our country and the soul of our party.
0: I suppose if you and I had archives and we were in, say, Fargo, North Dakota, or we were in Lebanon, New Hampshire.
5: Yeah. Bangor, Maine.
0: Right. We would be talking about all the people with our state's connections who have run that people outside the state may not remember. But it does seem, per capita, Arkansas has an unusually high number of people who sought the White House.
5: Well, yes, and not only that, but we seem to breed gifted <laughs> politicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you think about those who didn't run, Fulbright, McClellan, yeah. uh, some some great politicians. Um, and so I went back to, to John Davis and asked him, you know, what is it about – Arkansans and their national appeal and their, their talent in lawmaking. I think about this a lot.
6: And I tend to think that it's in part because we're small. So as a state for a long time, if you were a politician and you were effective at retail politics and getting to know people at the individual level, uh, that you would do well here politically. And I think that translates well to other areas of the country. Uh, I think we're also rural. Um, and that rural element um, transcends a lot of different cultural or regional differences across the country. And really, we consider ourselves perhaps a southern state. We're in the SEC, after all. But we're really more peripheral south or mid-south. And really, in many ways, we're more Midwest than deep south. We have more in common with maybe a Missouri than a Georgia or a Mississippi in some demographic characteristics. So between being a small state, being a rural state, and more Midwest, it lines you up pretty well, and it's got to be a temptation for uh, an ambitious politician in Arkansas to think about jumping into a caucus in Iowa or a primary in New Hampshire, both small Midwest to to Northeast rural states. The demographics line up. If you're an effective politician in Arkansas, um, I can see why you would think that the 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 board, if you will, to, to winning the, the nomination is in your favor.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned close to a dozen people. Right. Here. Yeah.
5: Right. And several of them, well, were quite serious. One of them won. Yeah. One of them got the nomination. Can we, can we end with something? I hadn't asked you about this. Mm-hmm. It's um we've we've played it once before. Oh, I know you're I it know it's not going. one of your favorite songs, but <laughs> it gets in your head and it will not go away. Yeah. You called it an earworm. Yeah, yeah.
0: I and know what if, you're talking about.
5: All right. During the Burgess Meredith uh narrating Infomercial. This, yes, the yeah. infomercial. Uh the political documentary that we've talked about before You hear this music underneath. Yes, for Wilbur Mills. Well, it actually has words to it. Mm. And so at the very end of this film, uh, which you'll be able to see on our website, uh, you see these nice, still-dissolved pictures of Wilbur Mills at work and – they sing a song about him.
0: They do, and we're going to hear that, and it's of its time.
5: I will put. I will say that. It's of its time. Hey, it is a groovy song.
0: <laughs> Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. We do this almost every Monday. We're going to be back next Monday? Absolutely. Thank you, Randy. All right.
5: He came from Kansas to serve his people
2: in the Congress of the United States. For all, he's one of
1: America's great.
0: is Ozarks at Large. You may be starting 2024 with a dry January. The health campaign, which encourages you to abstain from alcohol for the first month of a calendar year, started more than 10 years ago in the UK. Whether you imbibe a little or not at all in January, it's worth noting there are effects alcohol can have on your body, including your blood pressure. Right before 2023 ended, we reached out to Dr. Chris Harden, internal medicine at Fayetteville Diagnostic Clinic, and a fellow of the American College of Physicians. He says, yes, there's a connection between alcohol and blood pressure.
3: Uh, and it is incremental. We we know this going back uh, several years, all the way to Framingham, Massachusetts, and the Framingham study that's been going on for decades, that with uh, at the time, we knew that you would get about a, a 7 to 10 millimeter bump for heavy alcohol consumption. More studies have been done, and even uh, recently, there was a, a report from the American Heart Association showing that even um, not, not just modest, but even small intakes of alcohol cause modest upticks in blood pressure.
0: It, it, is there a definition for what is heavy alcohol use?
3: Sure. So, um, first of all, you know, like uh, uh, moderate alcohol use is, uh, would be considered to be okay, but even moderate alcohol use can cause a slight uptick in blood pressure. Uh, the, the causation and that uptick and its uh, relationship to heart disease and stroke, though, that would be a debatable topic. Um, that, that We haven't connected the dots on that. However, You know, uh, um, heavy intake, according to the uh, National uh, uh, Institute on Alcohol Abuse, uh, would be anything for, for, it's not fair, but for men, it would be anything more than um, uh, uh, 14 drinks per week. And for women, it would be anything more than, um, you know, anything above moderation would be less than that. So. On average, for women, it's it's one, one drink per evening would be at would be moderate. Anything above that would be uh, heavy intake.
0: The relationship between alcohol and blood pressure. If you're someone who is already dealing with high blood pressure, perhaps it's medicated, perhaps it's not, but you know you have hypertension, you have a high blood pressure. That's when it's even more important to, to keep an eye. Not that it's not important to keep an eye on alcohol intake if you don't have high blood pressure, sure. but it's even more important if you do.
3: Yeah, that's a very good point because this study that came out that uh, in July of this year reporting intake uh, increase in blood pressure with any alcohol consumption, that garnered a lot of attention. But if you really look at how the study was done, it, it was a, a retrospective study um hard harder for doctors to hang their hat on, and at most they would get one millimeter bump in systolic blood pressure. So there would be a an increase in blood pressure. What I would advise, especially for those who have some intake of alcohol, who who uh do have high blood pressure, have a blood pressure cuff at home. Monitor how they respond hmm. uh how yourself responds to to the alcohol. Make sure that uh, that uh, everything in moderation. I don't know if that's an internist in me in me or if it's the Methodist uh, coming out, but uh, <laughs> certainly uh, everything in moderation would, is reasonable. There are some older, you know, uh, older studies too that actually show a, a decrease in mortality with moderate alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm. Another take home that it's important for the. Uh, audience uh, to I think pay attention to, especially with the new year coming up, is have a blood pressure if you do have high blood pressure, whether taking a medication or not, have a blood pressure cuff at home. Uh, it's important to, to keep track of your blood pressure, uh, especially paying attention to diet, exercise, alcohol intake, and especially salt intake. Mm. the other the other re, uh, the other take home here would be for to go visit a primary care doctor. Or uh, if not that, at least go step into your pharmacy or Walmart and put your arm in the blood pressure cuff and get it checked. Oh, uh, it it as it turns out, about one in five Americans who have high blood pressure don't know that they have high blood pressure.
0: Well, then okay, so I have high blood pressure. I'm I'm treating it with medicine. I have a cuff here in my office, and gotcha. f- fortunately, you know, never anything that's alarming but what if I see a high number that surprises me or I'm with a relative and I see something, what's the next step to do? Good good point,
3: uh, because I, we hear this a lot. When people um, will bring up the uh, uh, talk and even uh, use a term, uh, a kind of a lay term called stroke level hypertension, um, the main thing is to first record it and keep a log of blood pressures Pay attention to maybe what your habits have been that day and that preceding week, you know, have I been taking my daily walk like the American Heart Association says? Uh, Have I been adherent to the DASH diet, which is low in salt intake? You know, what what may have, have I been taking my medications as prescribed? So these are the things to pay attention to, to say, what has changed here? Otherwise keep a log and then whoever your prescriber is, make an appointment if if that is, truly is a trend. Blood pressure takes place, you know, what we get concerned about is the, the, the pressure on the arteries and the slow buildup of either atherosclerotic plaque in our arteries or the muscle of the heart just having to pump against higher pressures becoming enlarged or becoming stiff, okay? And so, but that takes place over decades. You know, that's not a Oh my goodness! Today, uh, type issue. This is, an, you know, I often tell patients, "Hey, we've got this. This is, this is boring, but you know, because this is something slow, uh, but does need the the attention, the attention of like a follow up in in maybe uh, a week or so if you see a trend like that."
0: Doctor Chris Harden, internal medicine at Fayetteville Diagnostic Clinic, and a fellow of the American College of Physicians, spoke with us about Dry January in late 2023. This is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large. We have an update to a conversation that took place on our show in late December. The deadline for middle school students to submit an essay in the Civics B contest sponsored by the Rogers Lowell Chamber has now been extended two weeks. The new deadline, January 22nd. Any questions can be answered by sending an email to civicsb at rogerslowell.com. It was a decidedly mixed bag this weekend for Razorback basketball. Yesterday, the women's team recorded its third largest margin of victory over an SEC opponent ever, defeating Georgia 83-43 in Bud Walton Arena. Arkansas will next host Mississippi State Thursday night, tip-off for that game scheduled for 8 o'clock. Meanwhile, the men's team was on the other side of a uh, lopsided score Saturday, losing at home to number 25 Auburn 8351. Up next is a game at Georgia Wednesday night.
8: For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. An Iowa native would become one of the great chroniclers of the Ozark region. Born in 1891, Otto Rayburn attended college in Missouri and after World War I moved to Kingston, a Madison County town that he wrote has a splendid highway in but no road out. He published a magazine, Ozark Life, the Mirror of the Ozarks, he used to promote the region, writing, for instance, that the King's River Valley was one of the fairest dimples in the face of the smiling Ozarks. In 1940, he was commissioned to write Ozark Country for the American Folkway series. It would go through four printings. He published several other magazines and later managed the annual Folk Festival in Eureka Springs. In the introduction to Rayburn's 1957 autobiography, Vance Randolph wrote, there is no denying that in the period between 1925 and 1950, Rayburn did more to arouse popular interest in Ozark folklore than all the professors put together. He died in Fayetteville in 1960. To learn more, visit EncyclopediaOfArkansas.net. Ozarks at Large
1: is a production of 91.3 KUAF Fayetteville. Contributors to today's show include Randy Dixon
0: and Mark Christ. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio, Two. If you're still in the mood for implementing new habits in a new year, maybe take some time this morning to subscribe to the free Ozarks at Large newsletter. It arrives every weekday morning in your email inbox with a rundown of the most recent stories on Ozarks at Large, a link to the daily KUAF word game, and much more. You can find more information about the newsletter at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. You'll also find links to the individual stories, ways to subscribe to the podcast feed, and much more. OzarksAtLarge.com
1: Kyle, later this week, you'll be on with Courtney Lanning, our resident film critic, to discuss her top ten releases of 2023.
0: Right. Uh, We'll do numbers ten through six on tomorrow's show, then five through one of her choices on Wednesday's show. I'm not going to give anything away, but I will tell you that if you watched the Golden Globes last night, Mm. You'll see that there was some, um, both in the movies that didn't win big and the ones that did, yeah. she was kind of in lockstep, more or less in lockstep.
1: And as you pointed out, uh, before the end of last year, she's got a, a decent
0: track record. Uh, she was the first one I knew of anybody to get to jump on the Coda mm-hmm. bandwagon, and they became, that earned best picture. Yeah. Um, and then- um, Everything, everywhere, yeah. all at once. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there you go. So that'll be on tomorrow and Wednesday. There you I'm go. Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. Thanks for being with us. The Walmart Amp presents Canadian singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin Tuesday, July 2nd, touring in celebration of the 30th anniversary of her third studio album, Fumbling Towards Ecstasy, performing the full record front to back. She'll be joined on tour by special guest Feist. Tickets and information at Amptickets.com.